0: morning redemption arcadia would you stand we're going to worship the Lord together this morning Hallelujah! so we've been going through the book of John and praising this Jesus who is indeed the son of God and is the name above every name in John 1 it says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and we know from scripture that all things are created by him and through him and for him, and we're looking to praise that Jesus today as we sing together. So let's sing about this word of God, Jesus Christ. You were the
1: word at the beginning.
0: this morning to praise that name, the name that is above every other name. God, we praise you for your glory, and Lord, we recognize that we fall short of that glory. So God, we confess to you this morning that we are in need of you as a Savior, Lord, that we are sinful and broken, that without you, Lord, we are indeed lost. So we pray, Lord, that you would be glorified today as our Savior. We praise you that you've made a way of salvation for us that you are the way, the truth, and the life, that you are the sheep gate, that we come in and find pasture. Lord, would you be glorified in us, your church, today, as we worship you, as we hear from your word, as we take communion together. God, would you be glorified in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. and time again you have proven you do just what you say though the storms may come and the for us a way of life that is reliant upon you that we can rest and trust in your name, God that we can rest even while there's a storm around us we praise you, God, for your faithfulness we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Amen
1: please remain standing for the reading of God's word And greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel. You may be seated.
2: Amen. Thanks, Emily. Thanks, worship team. That was great. Good morning, church. It's good to see you all. Uh, We are one church in 10 congregations throughout Arizona. We believe that all of life is all for Jesus, we're gospel centered. And outward focus if you're new here we especially want to say welcome to you we're glad you're here in person thank you for being here uh, online thank you for being here as well uh, you might have noticed when you came in how just spick and span and beautiful this campus looks we had a church work day yesterday where we had 30 something people come and we just trimmed all the trees and washed all the baseboards and dusted everything so thank you for those who came And uh, showed up to help this place. Uh, We are 15 weeks into the gospel according to John. And, if you can believe it, we're just two weeks away from the start of Advent. Does it just feel like February just happened? Why are we in Advent already? We're two weeks away from the start of Advent. Advent this year, we're, we're calling Come and See. Come and See, which stands as an invitation for those who are not new in the faith who have done this Christmas thing year after year, the invitation remains, come and see this story of the birth of Jesus. And for those who have never put their faith in Jesus, come and see, come and see who he really is. On December 24th, Christmas Eve, we are doing three services. That's the plan as of now, 3 p.m., 4.30, and 6 p.m. So the hope there is that we'll create a little more space in the gatherings and so that everyone can get a chance to come and worship with us. We are doing limited child care at the 3 and the 4.30, uh, but kids, I think, five and up are encouraged to just come in with us. It'll be a shorter service and more worshipful. We'd love to have your families all be with us. Okay, so, um, yes, one last thing. The elders, The we have two new elder candidates, and if you missed it, last Wednesday we did a video where Pastor Frank got to just hear their stories and And Steve, one of our elders, got to just grill them on all these really great questions. So it was a really great time to get to know these two new guys who are coming in. I would just encourage you, if you missed it, go back and watch that video on our YouTube page. It's really helpful to get to know the guys who will be leading us. So with that said, let me pray, and then we'll get into our text. God, now every time I've gotten to get a chance to study your word, God, I have just been blown away at how amazing it is, how full of truth, how, man, so much of it that that I'm learning and seeing, I don't even have time to share up here. And so I just pray, God, that you would make us a people who love and cherish your word. Um, As we're going to see in the text today, your word brings life. Your word brings life. And so, God, I pray that anything that's not from you today would be forgotten and anything that's from you, God, may it bear down on us and bear fruit according to your spirit. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. We are in the book of John, chapter 5. So you can go ahead and turn there with us. We've been making our way from verse 18 all the way to 29. So just to catch us up, last week we heard the story of a man who was healed And Jesus healed this man, and he did it, dun dun dun, on the Sabbath, which is a problem. That was a problem. He was breaking the Old Testament law of Sabbath. So he healed that man. He got up and walked. And then Jesus sort of did this fading into the crowd thing that he does, avoiding the spotlight. Well, that man came to the temple, and they showed the Jewish leaders. He showed them. And what was the first thing they said to him? You picked up your mat. You shouldn't be picking up your mat on the Sabbath. They entirely missed the miracle for the law-breaking that happened, right? Now, apparently, eventually, the Jews found Jesus in the temple. And now, in our passage today, begins what's been called the first trial of Jesus. He stands accused. And here, he's given the first part of his defense. So here, we read this verse last week, but verse 18 really acts as a hinge between Earlier, chapter 5, and later, chapter 5. We got the story of the man that was healed, hinge 18, now into Jesus' defense. So let's start by reading verse 18 again. again. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Notice right away, we're five chapters into the Gospel of John, and already the Jews were seeking to kill him. They're not just offended here. They're not just annoyed. They're actively plotting, okay, how do we kill this guy? How do we kill this guy? Why? Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he's even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God, which is a problem. If you make yourself equal with God, that's a problem if it's not true. That's a problem if it's not true. But in Jesus' case, it was true. Now, we know they're already plotting to kill Jesus, and we know, spoiler, they're eventually successful. They do accomplish this plot that they're beginning here. Now, think about why the Sabbath laws were so important. They were established in what's called the Mosaic Law, and it was really baked into the identity of what it means to be a Jew. Now, think about the encroaching paganism all around them during this time. Keeping the Sabbath was one of the main ways that they said, we are a unique We stand out. This is something we do that not everyone around us does. So it was a big important identifier for the people. And it was something God established. So the first question we ask, why would Jesus be breaking the laws that God established? Why is he breaking the Sabbath-keeping laws? Well, like many of the things Jesus did, there were lots of layers to why he's doing it. One thing that is clear, I'm just going to pull a couple of them out. He is seemingly fulfilling the Mosaic law with the arrival of a new covenant in his blood. He's changing the game. It's also clear that Jesus is revealing something of the hearts of his accusers here. By elevating the importance of the heart of the behavior without lowering the importance of the works. But he's showing the heart matters. And this is a big theme with Jesus' ministry we don't have to look back very far to see. Look at the man who was just healed. The very first thing the Jewish leader said was not, oh, wow, you're healed. This is crazy. It was, you picked up that mat, didn't you? And he said, yeah, I, I did. You shouldn't be picking up that mat. They entirely missed it. They missed the miracle for the law keeping. That's a problem. Jesus is exposing that. Now for us, We can ask, okay, so if Jesus is breaking the Sabbath-keeping laws, what does that mean for me? Do I have to keep the Sabbath? Is that something I should be doing? What even is the Sabbath? Well, the Sabbath, historically, is a 24-hour period in which we joyfully abstain from work. Ecclesiastes 1a talks about this. All things are full of labor. You can't express, you can't complete the work that there is to do in the world, right? Right? Any homeowners know this. Any adults know this. There's always work to be done. So we reflect as Christians the pattern that God gave us to rest a day. Because we're not valued based on what we accomplish, but who we are in Jesus. Man, that's powerful. So it's the wrong question to ask. Do I have to keep the Sabbath? The right way to think about it is that we get to keep the Sabbath. What a gift that is. And what a source of life. Now, think about this, like the Jews at the time. Think of how countercultural it is for a Christian to say, I'm going to take one day a week, and I'm not going to work. Paid work or unpaid work. I'm going to put it all to the side for one day. Now, it is for uh, resting, doing things that are fun, right? But it's so much bigger than just binging Netflix shows. It should include elements of worship and and all that. It's a really life-giving rhythm. Now, okay, so I'll just say, if you want to know more about that, come talk to one of the pastors. We would love to sit down with you and help come up with a plan for how to keep the Sabbath. All right, I'll leave that there. Jesus' accusation, again, is that he broke the Sabbath laws and that he claimed to be one with God. And his defense comes in three main parts, which we'll cover this week and next. This week, we're covering up to verse 29, where Jesus is going to today clarify his agency to God We'll talk about that word and his granted authority over life and judgment. And next up to verse 40, since Jesus is on trial, he's going to bring witnesses who can validate his claims. This we'll cover next week. And up to verse 47, also next week, Jesus moves from defense to prosecution. Instead, describing the root problems of his opponents. Now, in Jesus' response, in verse 19, right away, he uses this phrase that we saw in his very first words in chapter 1. He says, truly, truly. You see that? Now, literally taken, it says, amen, amen. That's what Jesus is saying. Amen, amen, and then continues his sentence, which is unique. It doesn't actually appear in any other Jewish texts. It seems to be Jesus' unique Aramaic teaching style which is so cool to see his little affectations coming through. But it's really significant. So they use that word, amen, similar to how we do. To end a corporate prayer, everyone in agreement says, amen, let it be so, yes, we agree. So by using it at the beginning of a sentence and twice, Jesus is emphatically saying, this is true, this is true. What I'm about to say is true. Even one commentator said, I know from firsthand experience, This is true. So every time Jesus says, truly, truly, it should be a clue to us to perk up our ears and go, okay, there's something here Jesus really wants me to hear. What is it? Okay. Now we're going to read verses 19 all the way through 23. So read along with me. It'll also be up on the screens. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son of man can do nothing of his own accord. But only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son, and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but is given all judgment. To the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. There's a term used back then that would have been familiar to those hearing Jesus. It was the concept of an agent acting as an agent for someone else, usually on behalf of a king. Now, this isn't a 007 kind of agent, as cool as that sounds. More like a representative, but not just a representative, actually someone who's able to fully speak and act on behalf of the king. So the king would use that to broker deals and establish treaties and things like that. Now, so think about an agent of a king really has to know the king if he's going to speak on his behalf, right? Really has to know the king. And the king has to really trust the agent that they're going to act rightly on behalf of the king. This is the point Jesus seems to be making here is that he is God's divine agent to the world. So Jesus is not just following God's example but acting as him in step with him presently, continually, and more than that Jesus is making a pretty overt claim, I am God here. Because of who he is, Jesus can do what only God does. That's what he's saying. So think about how the audience would have heard that at the time. This is why the argument, the the saying, I can accept Jesus. Like, I'm cool with him because he was all about love, right? He's a pretty cool guy, right? But the God of the Old Testament, I don't know. He seems pretty harsh, pretty judgmental, pretty angry. I don't know if I can get behind the God of the Old Testament, but Jesus is cool. That argument doesn't work. Look at Jesus' words. I do what the Father does. I do what the Father does. There's not Old Testament God and New Testament God. There is God. And Jesus is saying, I am one. So he's saying, God's working on the Sabbath. He's using this argument. God's working on the Sabbath, and so do I. Jesus is saying that. So the Jewish leaders at the time would have had this concept that God doesn't rest on the Sabbath. He doesn't need to rest like we need to rest. They know that. It's evident because the rains still fell on the Sabbath days. Babies were still born on the Sabbath days. The universe itself didn't implode on Sabbath days. So God must be working. They had a a clear concept of that. It was self-evident. Jesus is tapping into that. He's saying, you know how God works on the Sabbath, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, God works on the Sabbath. He's saying, well, I'm doing... What he's doing. I'm doing what he's doing. It reminds me how lately Eleanor, she does what I do. If I'm outside working on our, we have a pop-up tent trailer thing, I was repacking the bearings in the axle, which is a greasy, messy job. But when I use the grease gun, she wants to use the grease gun. When I'm repacking the bearings, she wants to repack the bearings. She does what I do. But I am an imperfect father, far from perfect. So that's for better or for worse in my situation. But for Jesus, doing what, what God does is acting as God's agent. So look again at verse 20. This is really important. Jesus is saying, okay, I'm a divine agent for God. I'm acting as he does. Why? Why? Because the father loves the son. Think about that for a moment. Just pause here. Think about that. Jesus is doing what he does, saying what he says, because God loves him. Now, this word love, many of you might know this, but in English, we take all the different kinds of love and we just lump it all together and we call it love. Which isn't the most descriptive thing to say. But this word originally here, this is the word phileo, which means brotherly love. It speaks of affection and fondness and generally liking the other. And it's relational companionship. It's actually given in the present tense. So it's ongoing, continual affection. Interestingly, this is the only time that John uses this specific term for love to describe the love between the Father and the Son. Jesus does what God does because he's loved by God. Church, how often do we do what we do? Because we know God loves us. And how different would what we do be if we just understood the love of God for us in Jesus? Praise God that we don't have to wonder if God loves us. We can know this because in Jesus' church, we know that that love between the Father and the Son, when we become the sons of God, guess what? We are loved with that same love in Jesus. Praise God for that. You see how freeing this is for us. In trial, in times of suffering, we can ask, God, what are you doing through this? Instead of, God, why are you doing this to me? We don't need to ask, God, when will this be over? Why is it taking so long? Instead, we can ask, God, give me what I need to endure this. Now, it's not wrong to process your thoughts. Psalms gives us a language for that. But do you see how one is a trusting response to a loving Father, reliant on God, and the other is self-reliant, self-focused, even demanding, really fundamentally misunderstanding this love dynamic between the Father and in Christ to us. When we remember where we stand with God, we are free to fully live for him. We are loved like Jesus, and now we're freed to love like Jesus. Amen for that. So Jesus, having unpacked this idea of acting as God's divine agent, gives two more truly-truly's to continue his defense. We're going to read verses 24 all the way through 29. Jesus continues, Truly, truly, I say to you... Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he's given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, verse 29, this, those who have done good going to the resurrection of life, done evil to judgment... While it's not a morality-based faith, it is, however, a reminder for us that what we do, even as Christians, what we do, it matters. How we spend our time matters, and it will be judged. And the ultimate good that this is pointing to, the ultimate good is belief in Christ that covers all of our evil. So it's both and. Jesus builds the case that he's been, amen, amen, entrusted with two tasks. That he's sovereign over life and judgment. Think about that. That was firmly understood in the minds of the hearers as something that only God does. Life and judgment, that's clearly God's territory here. Jesus is sovereign over life and judgment. So life was understood as a gift only from God. We said that in Genesis 2 and Psalm 16, these verses would have been ringing in their minds. Wait, 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 wait. God's the only one who does that. Judgment was understood as a work only of God. Genesis 18, Judges 11. Again, they would have been ringing in their mind that God alone has the power over life and can raise people from death is not a surprise. That Jesus can do it too? would have really set him apart to the Jewish thinker. And now Jesus, thinking again, picturing him giving his defense, is digging his own grave here with each of these statements. Do you see how rather brilliantly he's turning the tables on his accusers too? Picture it again. He stands there, there standing in judgment of him, and he's turning the tables, saying, you know who's being given the power to judge, right? It's me. I'm actually standing in judgment over you Presently, yes, in that moment, but clearly he's pointing ahead to a future judgment as well. So, this is the same pattern that John's giving us elsewhere in the book. There is life and judgment here. Earlier on it said there's darkness and there's light. There's not gray area light time. It's light or darkness. The path of being a good person, doing good things, doesn't lead you to life it actually earlier says it is to walk in darkness it keeps you on the path of judgment there is one way to life church and it is through this son of man we don't stumble onto the path of light and life we're brought to it by jesus it's not our merit we can't earn it we need to hear this again again and again We can't earn it because it's a free gift. You can't earn a free gift. It's free. We simply believe, receive, and we give God the glory and the praise that he is enough. Now, that son of man term that you heard, that son of man term, Jesus used that again in chapter one. It's it's the title he referred to himself as the most often. And I was prepping for this by listening to this podcast called The Bible Project where they went on this theme of the Son of Man, and they did the deepest dive ever. It's like nine hours of them going through and figuring out what the Son of Man thing is. I'll just say there's a lot that Jesus is doing by using this term, Son of Man. I'm only going to pull out a couple of things. A couple of things. So, if you remember back in chapter 1, by using the Son of Man title, Jesus is simultaneously avoiding unhelpful and premature titles while redefining and fulfilling what that title actually even means. Tyler Thompson talked about this last week, that Jesus knew when the right time was. And when it was not the right time, he would fade away into the crowd, he would use these titles that were more mysterious, rather than overtly saying, hey everyone, I'm Christ, I'm I'm the Son of God, I'm God. Because that would set him on a path towards a timing that wasn't right. Okay? Okay. So he's doing that. Literally, son of man means a human, uh, the most human human. But it also has echoes in Daniel 7 of divine authority. And now Jesus is attaching life and judgment to that son of man title as well, which is a big, big statement to make. Now, looking back at verse 20, notice the reason for why Jesus does these great works. So that you may, what? Marvel. Other translations say, be amazed. Isn't that neat that God wants to blow your minds with the works of Jesus? We should see the person of Jesus and marvel. That's natural and normal. But if you jump ahead now to verse 28, what we just read, now we're told not to marvel. Don't marvel at the signs of Jesus. So, which one is it? Do I marvel? Do I be amazed? Should I not be amazed? Do I marvel? Do I not marvel? Well, Wayne Winter in one of the preaching collectives, and I'll just say, I don't know how, Frank talks about this all the time, I don't know if he's explained it recently, but that's where we get all the preaching pastors together over Zoom or in person, and a couple weeks ahead of time, they just share ideas and thoughts and process the text together, it's really sweet, but Wayne Winter, one of the lead pastors of Alhambra, Redemption Alhambra, said this, he thinks it's like when you're in the middle of telling a great story, right, assuming you're a good storyteller. And you get to the middle of the story, and it's this kind of rising action, this cool stuff starts happening. And the audience of people listening go, wait, what, that happened? And you go, wait, 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 don't marvel at that. That's not even the amazing part. I got more. The end is coming. I got more to share. So don't freak out yet. You should freak out later. Church, the the works of Jesus are worth marveling at. But if we stay there, If we stay marveling at the works of Jesus, we miss the point of the works of Jesus. The works are a sign, the words are an invitation to know and be known by this Jesus, to find life. If we marvel at the works, but we miss the person, we miss the life. Church, we shouldn't stop at marveling at the works of Jesus We should marvel at the power of the resurrection to give new life. Man, that's something we should marvel at. Verse 24 seems to me to be the the core, the heart of this passage. The, The second truly, truly that Jesus gives is what I think he has for us today to hear from him. To truly, truly, amen, amen, hear from Jesus. Verse 24, let's read it again. Truly, truly. I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come in a judgment, but is passed from death to life. Church, for those struggling with assurance today, this is hope. What does it say to have life in Christ? Believe. Believe that the words of Jesus are good and true and you have life. Belief in Jesus has immediate consequences and consequences in the positive sense. It also has future consequences. Life or judgment awaits us. And truly, truly Jesus' words are life. And Jesus knew these statements would get him killed. But there's no other way there was no other way. Clearly, his mission was to give life, and he knew the, the only way Jesus could give us life is if he gave his life for us. The only way Jesus could give us this life is if he gave his life for us. And in that act, when he gave his life, his life was made available for all, given for all. If we just believe and follow him and find life in him, Again, I've been working through this with my daughter Eleanor. as She kind of comes to the conclusions of faith and trusting in the gospel slowly. This is, this is as simple as it, as it is. I just point to these words and go, look, believe Jesus and you have life. In the same way that Jesus acted as God's agent, Christians are called to act as agents to the world. If he was persecuted, the Bible warns us we should be ready for the same thing. Now, we may not experience that, but look at John 15, 18 and 19. Jesus said this, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. How scary is that? If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Church, I'm aware that in talking with you now and preaching this love of God and life in God and preaching the same thing to my daughter, I'm signing us up for the love of God, but also we're signing up for hatred from the world at times. Church, we should ready ourselves, prepare ourselves now for the trials to come. We should be in community now before we find ourselves in a situation where we desperately need others. Get in community now. Start reading books on suffering. Know what the Bible has to say about suffering before you enter into that season. Have a plan for that. Get serious about your prayer life, your Bible reading. Now, before you find your faith challenged by illness, suffering, and yes, even persecution. If there's one thing our older saints in the church can tell you, it's that it's not if suffering or illness will come, but when, when they come. We should be ready for that. And maybe you're here and you've never believed in the words of Jesus. Don't wait. Now's the time. Now's the time to receive life. Let me pray, and then we'll move into our time of response. God, truly, your words are life. God, make us a people of your word for that reason, knowing that when we read, when we consume your word, the fruit that that bears is life. Instantly, yes. Eternally, yes. But continually, God sanctifying and calling us back. It doesn't mean we're going to look the same in 10 years as we do now. By your grace, you will grow us. But that simple act of belief, we are saved. Thank you for that. God, your saving work is available and free to all. We just have to simply believe. And God, some of us sitting here right now are saying, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief, God. I believe that you do. I believe that you will. So God, please bear fruit through your word in us. In Jesus' name, amen. And now we take time to consider these things in a time of response. Remembering that it was this blood of Jesus that saved us, not our goodness. We don't deserve it. It's a gift. We receive that gift today, right now. We, we do this by praying. We're going to have people up in the wings here. We're ready to pray for you. We just ask you to keep your mask on and come on up. We'd love to pray with you. Now, I should say, too, when you come up for prayer, that doesn't mean it has to be this huge thing. I'm a mess. We're all a mess. Just come get prayer. We're all a mess. It's okay. We're just going to pray with you. We sing together, and we take communion. So for those at home... You could now, if you choose, pause the video and prepare the elements and come back for those here. Hopefully you grabbed a cup. If you didn't, please, they're in the lobby. Go grab one. As we take the bread, we remember the body of Jesus that was broken for us. As we drink the juice, we remember the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. This new covenant began that day. This is our chance as a community to lay aside the weight of our sin. Church, that is not worth carrying. Lay it aside. We offload that weight through the act of repentance. We acknowledge our sin before God, even before one another, if it's appropriate. And that could be the first time you're doing this. It could be the thousandth time you're doing this. We turn from those sins. We turn back to Jesus being Like that, a freed people, walking again in the free light of life. And what we find, church, remember, what we find is the open arms, the loving embrace of the Father that loves us like he loves Jesus. What a beautiful thing that is. So I'm going to read a couple more verses, and then we'll begin our time of response from Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. I'll read this, then I'll exit the stage so we can worship together endured the cross, despising the shame, and our our hopes pin on this church and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Let's sing together.
1: Could Such a boundless grace The God of ages stepped down from glory To wear my sin And bear my shame The cross has spoken I am forgiven The King of kings calls me his own beautiful savior i'm yours forever jesus christ stitch grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ. Thank yeah. the sun.
2: us out as our benediction and sending prayer i'm going to read from first thessalonians 5 23 through 24 may god himself the god of peace sanctify you through and through may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ church the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it let's go live all of life all for jesus we'll see you next sunday